0: Hey, good morning, Church Online. You know, moms are some of the most important, most influential people in our world, amen? You know, I I believe this is by God's design. God has a special purpose for their role in our lives. Yes, there are times when sin has maybe corrupted that role, and some of us have experienced this kind of broken motherhood, but overall, moms are a blessing, which is why we take a day like today, which today is currently Mother's Day, uh, to, to honor them. And so our, our River Kids director actually uh, shared something with me this past week, and it was a recent video that was done from Mops, and that's a Mops is a Christian organization. Organization that's aimed at supporting uh, moms with young kids, but they shared the following statement. The following statement says this moms are evangelists. And if you want the fastest, smartest and most efficient method for spreading a message, start with the mom. You know, this is actually coming from the marketing department of a non-Christian organization, but it it supports the statement I shared just a moment ago, that that God has created moms to be some of the most influential people in our world. They influence how we think and how we act and even how we worship. According to another stat that was given from from Mops, almost 80% of all people connect their faith to their mom. Many people share the heart of their mother. And this is a big deal. It can change your life. The Apostle Paul wrote about this to one of his disciples and closest friends, Timothy. He said, I am reminded of your, that's Timothy, your sincere faith. A felt that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well this tells me three things. Number one, moms are influential. Number two, we often share our mom's heart. And number three, who you share your heart with can impact your spiritual maturity. And it's that last thing that I just said that that is a lesson God teaches Jonah in chapter four, our final chapter for the series that we are in. Today is our last week in our series in Jonah, which is is phase two of our four-phase 2023 vision. Now, I know that sounds way more complicated than it needs to be, but basically our vision for this year or what God is having us focus on as a church is to move on up or to spiritually mature as a church. And in praying and planning, our leadership team broke this up into four phases. And we already completed phase one, which was growing in Christ. But phase two, which we started right after Easter, is studying the book of Jonah, a spiritually messy book. And what I mean by that is God has this prophet who is a true prophet, but he is a spiritually immature prophet. And then and then, wicked people in this book get saved, which is theologically messy in itself. And then the book ends with Jonah, this spiritually immature prophet, once again acting in rebellion. This book is a mess. And a major reason why we selected Jonah is because how many of us can relate to the spiritual journey of Jonah? This up and down and two steps forward and three steps back. How many of us can relate to the mess? And yet, even in the mess, God's will is still done. His kingdom is is still furthered and a harvest is experienced. You know, a mess doesn't disqualify us from the harvest. Actually, it might just mean that we're in the middle of it. Because the Bible tells us that without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest, meaning if you want to experience a harvest, you got to be willing to put up with the poopy mess in the stable. This is the lesson that we need to learn as we focus on spiritual maturity in 2023. We need to have a biblical expectation and understanding of the mess, and Jonah helps us learn these lessons. And so let's finish up with Jonah today so that we can continue growing towards the harvest. Jonah chapter four, verse one says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. You know, what is Jonah upset about? Well, in chapter three, Jonah preached a few words and the entire wicked city of Nineveh got saved. I mean, it was a miracle. You know, I've been preaching in Glastonbury for almost seven years and, and I can barely get people to raise their hand when they need prayer. Even when I say, "Oh, every head is bowed and every every eye is closed. I dream of experiencing Jonah's success. Jesus said in John chapter four, you know, the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for the harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits the planter and harvester alike. In chapter 3, Jonah experiences the harvest, and you would think he'd be joyful like Jesus said would happen, but Jonah is mad, and it only gets worse because verse 2 says, And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? So we finally discover the real reason why Jonah ran from God back in chapter one. He ran because he knew God wanted to save the Ninevites, who he personally hated. He knew the power of God's word. He knew God's patience and grace and love. And then he knew that God was mighty to save. And now that it has actually happened, he says, I'd rather die than live to see God's salvation come to the nations. This is supposed to be... A man of God, a prophet from God's people. And let me reemphasize that Jonah is a true prophet. I think even his rebellious words reveal this because Jonah in in this first part of chapter 4 is actually quoting Exodus 34, which says, The Lord passed before him, that being Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You know, it was not uncommon for the prophet and priests of God to have the first five books of the Bible memorized. And I believe Jonah quoted this from memory because he was a true prophet. But this dude is also a mess, because what we really see going on here is this, that although Jonah was a preacher of God's word, he didn't like the God of the word. Man, that is a messy statement, and it only gets worse. You know, sometimes I I, I go to my boys and I tell them, you know what, you need to clean your room. And then I go check on them for uh, after about 45 minutes. And it's not rare for me to find very little progress has happened. And that's when they get the final warning. I, I tell them, you know what? You guys got 30 minutes to finish and it better look like I cleaned it. You know my standard. And don't make me look for things because you know what happens when that happens. I find more mess and then you're going to be in more trouble. You know, let me use that dad principle here on Mother's Day uh, on our passage. Let me show you the additional mess that I find that gets Jonah in trouble. In verse 2, Jonah says, O oh Lord, is not this what I said? When we read this, the author intends for us to interpret it this way. He intends us to read it as if Jonah is saying, Oh Lord, this is my word. This is Jonah's word. And then as we read that he intends for for us to place it side by side with the two times that God's word came to Jonah in chapter one and in chapter three. And the sense is Jonah is saying, I am putting my word against your word, God. And you know what? I like my word better. Whew, that's a messy statement. I mean, how are we supposed to believe that this guy, that Jonah is truly God's prophet when he's acting this way? You know, personally, I think that's why sometimes people believe that Jonah wasn't really a a real person or even truly walking with God. Because it's easier to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, he's actually fake, than it is to deal with the spiritual, messy immaturity of a prophet of God who is acting this way and yet is still bringing forth the harvest. That's just messy. It's hard to understand. But here's the thing. Isn't Jonah like our story? We also don't like the God of the Bible. Now, we're in church or we're watching church online, so we might not say that out loud, or maybe you're in the privacy of your house and you are able to say that out loud. But regardless of if we would actually admit to that, I think our actions reflect it. Because how often do we get mad because of who God is and what he does? How often do we think our word or our way is better than God's word or God's way? Let me further the mess for us. Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city. And he made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade until he should see what would become of the city. The author's imagery and strategy in this verse, let me just tell you, it's amazing. It is brilliant in that it is intended to persuade us to arrive at a specific thought. And let me let me tell you what that what, what that thought should be. First off, it says that Jonah sat east of the city. In the Old Testament, the idea of east can communicate rebellion. We see this in the book of Genesis. After Adam and Eve sinned, after they rebelled against God, look at what happens. It says, Genesis chapter 3, after sending them out, the Lord stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Additionally, After Cain killed his brother Abel, God judged him, and the scriptures say, So Cain left the Lord's presence, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Finally, after the flood, as the people are preparing to once again rebel against God and build the Tower of Babel, it says, as the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. The author strategically mentions Jonah sitting to the east because he wants us to see his rebellion. Furthermore, Jonah makes a booth, and this would have reminded people about the Feast of Booths, where it was a festival where the Israelites would build and then live in temporary shelters for eight days for the purpose of worshiping and celebrating God's salvation. Yet Jonah builds a booth in rebellion and then is angry with God for bringing salvation. Again, Jonah is making a mess. Furthermore, Jonah sits and he waits because he wants God to change. He already knows that God is patient, kind, and loving and desires to save, but he doesn't like that God at least not outside of his personal preference. And that limited perspective causes Jonah to shake his fist at God and say, God, how dare you save them? But before we get too disgusted with Jonah, we got to be honest. Is this us? Some of us have personal preferences that cause us to say, God, how dare you? This makes me uncomfortable. I don't like when you do that. I don't like you. I want you to change. Sometimes we too don't like the God of the Bible because the reality is we're a mess as well. Yet God looks at us in the same way that he looks at Jonah. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? In other words, he's like, what's the problem? Verse 6 says, now the Lord sent a lightning bolt from heaven and Jonah popped like a water balloon. Oh wait, no, it doesn't say that. It says, now the Lord God appointed. You know, we're going to see this word appointed three times over the next three verses And the sense is God is going to teach Jonah a lesson to draw Jonah back to his heart. Now, are we thankful for moms in our lives who teach us lessons that shape our hearts? Moms who never give up on us, even though we're a mess, who aren't afraid to discipline us, but also do so with grace so that we can grow. Here's the truth. When moms do that, it ultimately comes from their heavenly father because that's what God does with Jonah. He hasn't given up on him. Instead, he pours out grace and he teaches Jonah a lesson to help him grow, to help him spiritually mature. Because verse six says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. God teaches Jonah two lessons at the same time. and The first lesson is this. He's telling Jonah, Jonah, look it. Here's what happens when we do things your way. When when we exalt your word over my word. When I, God, begin to change who I am to conform to your preference. Because remember, you're the one who didn't want me to save the rebellious Ninevites by grace, which is why you ran. And now that I saved them, you want me to change my mind and send judgment instead. And so now that you are sitting in your rebellion... I, I I, appointed a plant to grow and save you, Jonah, by grace. You didn't deserve this. And you were filled with joy because of that plant. But now that I've changed my mind and I appointed a, word, a, a worm to kill the plant, and now that I've sent judgment instead with an easterly wind, you don't like it. In fact, you're telling me that you would rather die instead of live. Here's the first lesson. When things happen our way instead of God's way, it either creates more of a mess or it keeps us stuck in the very same mess that we were in before because nothing changed for Jonah when he got his way. I think God's speaking to somebody right now through that. But finally, God says in verse nine, do you do well to be angry for the plant? In other words, once again, what's your problem? Isn't this what you wanted? You wanted me to be a god who doesn't save people by grace, right? And when, and even when I do, you want me to change my mind and send judgment instead. But Jonah says, "Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die." I know we don't really see this too much anymore, and, and let me be clear: I'm not actually saying that we need to see this more. But remember back in the day when when a, when a mom would would pop you in the back of the head for talking back. You know, my mom used to pop me even when I didn't even do anything. We'd be standing in Target and another kid then lost their mind and was talking back to their mom. And then my mom would pop me and I'd be like, "What, what was that for? And she said, just so you don't get any ideas. You know, Jonah's mom needs to come and pop him in the back of the head for talking back to God like this. But God is patient. Now, don't get me wrong. God is not afraid to discipline us And that discipline can hurt, but even in that God's heart, God's intention is for restoration and spiritual maturity and not just the furtherance of pain. Like in this instance, God patiently asks, do you do well to be angry for the plant? By grace, God gives Jonah time and opportunity to grow. And and, and now God is going to teach Jonah a second lesson. Verse 10 says, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Here is the second lesson. He tells Jonah, you know, can't you see? that you do not share my heart. You're selfish, rebellious, and spiritually immature, but more than that, you care more about a plant than for people. And Jonah didn't even create the plant. Jonah didn't know it. He didn't spend any time with the plant. And yet it says that the plant even brought him great joy. And then when the plant was gone, Jonah was angry. He was emotionally invested in something that was both temporary and didn't matter. Yet God the one who appointed all things, the creator of all things, the one who abounds in steadfast love, not only created this little temporary plant, but he also created the people of Nineveh. People who, as the book of Genesis says, a a book that Jonah would have likely had memorized, people who were made in God's image. God loves the 120,000 people of Nineveh. Now, there's a little bit of debate on how to interpret this number. Some believe that it could have been chil- the children of Nineveh, and, 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 and that's why he, God says, you know, they don't know their right hand from their left hand, which also means that if it was children, then there are much more people in Nineveh made in God's image. Or it could also refer to spiritually immature adults those who were stuck in spiritual darkness and unable to see their right hand from their left. Either way, God, like moms, loves children, and then God also loves all people, and his heart is for them, and he wants to save them. You know, the heart of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance, let alone an entire city. And here in this final part of of the book of Jonah, God is showing him that your biggest problem is that you do not share my heart and that the pain that Jonah felt for the plant cannot compare to how God's heart aches for the broken people of the world. And then the book ends. It ends with a mess. There's not a happily ever after, and really the the reader initially is left wondering what happens next. You know, I believe that the author intended to end this way because what does Proverbs 14 tells us? It says, without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Proverbs 14 teaches us that a mess doesn't mean it's over with God, it means that a harvest is still coming. Because I believe that the author of Jonah is Jonah. And and that this is a powerful story that exists because Jonah eventually became spiritually mature. And Jonah strategically shows us that God brings harvests from the mess. Basically, Jonah is preaching the gospel. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he is pointing us to Jesus, the one who would come and save us from our sinful mess and lead us into the harvest of eternal life. Because like Jonah, we often feel like we are stuck in a mess. And that it's the end of our story. Yet with Jesus, everything can change. There is always hope because of Jesus. We are a great mess, but we have a great Savior. A God who wants us to spiritually mature by developing and sharing his heart. Additionally, Jonah is proof. one of god's greatest promises philippians 1 6 says this i am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of jesus christ god began a good work in jonah and it was a messy journey but god was faithful to complete the work i wonder if you need to hear that today because has god started a good work in you then regardless of of the present mess, keep trusting in Jesus. Because Jesus will finish the work that he started and he will lead you to a harvest. But maybe today you're looking into the spiritual mirror of Jonah and you see a spiritual mess, but God hasn't started a good work in your life. Because you've never trusted him as Lord and Savior. Well, let me just tell you, there is still hope for you as well. It's not over. If you're breathing, you can change today. The good news is when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sins upon himself. He paid for all of our mess so that we could freely walk into the harvest so that we could have eternal life. That's what the apostle John meant when he wrote, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The phrase gave the right means that Jesus cleared the path. All the mess that was standing in our way and keeping us from God, Jesus took it and threw it away. And the path is clear. You can receive forgiveness and walk into heaven today. All you need to do is turn from your sin, leave that mess behind, put your faith in Jesus, and enter the harvest. Finally, I I want to speak to the moms to close. Moms, today, again, we honor you. God created you to be influencers. You, You change lives, homes, churches, community, and culture. And we thank you for that. But I also want to challenge you take that God-given responsibility seriously. Do whatever it takes so that you can share God's heart because when you spiritually mature, the kingdom of God is furthered and more people move from the mess to the harvest. And dads, here's a challenge for you on Mother's Day. Sacrifice so that your wives and your daughters can learn to share God's heart. You know, sometimes you're going to have to take some time off. Sometimes you're going to have to watch the kids, maybe even give up a a hobby so that that they, so that the moms can go to things like women's life group or women's breakfast or so that they could go on a women's retreat. I want to challenge you men to care about the things that are eternal and that matter. And one of those things is investing in moms so that they can spiritually mature. And when you do that, you and your family will experience a greater harvest. Let's pray. God, we're a mess. But we believe your word. We trust your way. We put our faith in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we ask you to please help us spiritually mature. And God, we want to pray a special blessing over the moms of our church today. Thank you for them, and may they continue to help us experience the harvest that you have prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us for Church Online. If this was your first time, please fill out a Connect card. We would love to say hi to you, even send you a gift. Also, if you have any prayer requests, would like to know more about the River Church, or if you decided to follow Jesus today, we want to hear from you. There's an easy way to do that on our website, riverchurchct.com, or you can text the keyword TRC Connect to 94000. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there.